Hi, Harris. Hi, Victoria. Hello. Hi. I think you two would get along. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to I Think You Two Would Get Along from the Kickstarter Games team. I am Trin from the Kickstarter Games team. And today I have with me Anya. Anya, say hello to the people. And my alarm went off. This is like the day of a thousand errors. You know what? I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to leave that in because we had tech troubles before. We are just like plugging along despite the universe plotting against us. Uh, but Anya, uh, can you tell the people uh, who you are at Kickstarter? Just to remind them because it's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, I'm the senior games outreach person here at Kickstarter. So when you are interested in running a project, uh, I probably will end up talking to you. Anya put together our, our two guests for today who are both community managers in the games industry. We've got Harris and Victoria. Uh, let's start with Victoria. So Victoria, uh, what are you working on these days? Um, so I understand you're with Boyfriend Dungeon, right? Yes. So we're working on Boyfriend Dungeon and we're also at the same time working on an unannounced project and we're publishing two other games onto Steam. Um, in case anyone doesn't know, Boyfriend Dungeon is a dating simulator dungeon crawler mashup where your weapons turn into beautiful people. You take them out on dates. It's great. You all get along. Uh, you smooch some swords. It's normal. It's totally normal. Um, and- that is so up my alley. And then the two games that we're publishing onto Steam, uh, one is Six Ages, which is the spiritual successor to King of Dragon Pass, and the second one is the legendary Dwarf Fortress, which is basically the most intricate intricate world simulator ever. Do you have a lot on your plate, my friend? Um, yes. I am currently, you know, it's fine. It, oh, oh God. It's You're fine. holding up it's fine. fine. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> Harris, how about you? What are you working on these days? I understand you are also community manager. Yeah, I'm a, I'm the community manager at Finji. Uh, we make a whole bunch of games. Uh, right now we're making a game called Overland, which is a turn-based survival game. We're also publishing a game called Tunic, which is a game about a cute fox exploring this big world. And uh, a couple years back, we were on Kickstarter with Night in the Woods. Ooh. Well, you are both veterans to this process, and I appreciate you both making time. Um, we're going to talk a bit about community management. We're going to talk about uh, the different kinds of jobs that uh, are required in a games project that kind of keeps the project afloat that maybe people uh, may overlook or uh, talk down to and say, oh, well, that's soft skills. Um, we're going to talk about all those things. Uh, but here on I Think You Two Would Get Along, our whole goal is to increase the Rolodex of everybody on a uh, in the games industry. Uh, We take people who may not have otherwise met in real life um, or maybe are not super tight in real life and uh, we get them to get to know each other. And the way we do this is we go through three different steps. So first is small talk because when you first meet someone you shouldn't tell them all about your childhood. The next step is medium talk which is the talk about the medium of games. And then the final section is large talk which is just one big silly philosophical question where there's not a real answer but it's uh, a little illusion about people's personalities when you uh, ask questions that don't have an answer. Uh, so we're going to start with small talk, which is my forte, uh, because I am the friendship master here, and Anya is very much like the games person with games questions. So let's start. Uh, hey, guys, it's spring. How are your allergies holding up? Is anyone as mucusy as I am? Oh, I Yeah, no, it's it's terrible right now. It's, it's the worst. I'm in uh, Austin, Texas. And we went hiking uh, on Saturday, and I just wanted to die the whole time. It was beautiful. The weather was perfect, but the trees were just, like, spewing out, like, juice that wanted to kill me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was miserable the entire time, despite being surrounded by beautiful scenery. It was... Oh, God, it was the best and the worst. That d- sounds like one surefire way to make a man-shaped phlegm pile is to go outdoors in, yeah. in Austin. Uh, Victoria, you too have mucus issues. Tell me about your boogers. Um, You know, the weird thing is I'm actually not sure what I'm allergic to. Mm-hmm. So I've never had spring allergies. And then two years ago, I had the worst spring allergies I've ever like experienced. And I had a rash all over my body, and it was just also mucusy and gross. But now I don't. 
and I don't know what happened. I like to think that I became a god. I think so, too. I think you reached the next step of human evolution, and that makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) So did both of you, like, have any allergies growing up? Were you, like, indoor kids who were really, really stoked about staying inside during recess? You know, yes, I was. But I was, like, also one of those people who wanted to be those cool, like, deep emo kids that was like no one understands me yeah yeah you you feel me (laughs) so yeah I was always inside uh didn't really play outside that much but my mom forced me to do sports so which is great because now I can do many a sport uh but I definitely (laughs) tried to like seclude myself a lot Wait, what kind of sport? How? How? Do, first of all, let's let's start with how does one get made to play a sport? Was she like, "Hey, soccer, go"? Growing up in a Southeast Asian household, it's very much you listen to whatever your parents tell you to do, uh, or else you get disowned. So basically, she was <laughs> like, "All right, so you're doing swimming, you're doing skating, you're doing horseback riding, you're doing tennis, you're doing badminton, you're doing field hockey." Um, so I've done all of these things. Um, at numerous times so yeah and then I ended up doing a bit of like competitive swimming which was great uh, but I had a lot of experience playing a lot of sports that I wasn't necessarily interested in. Victoria as someone also from an Asian family I can very much relate to this. Yes it's it's a time. Anya were you also made to play the sports? Uh, yeah I played sports um, music which obviously is like great now because I'm a musician on the side um, but like drawing anything art related um anything outside anything inside like you name it my mom basically had me do it well i'm glad that it sounds like you came out with tremendous personal growth though perhaps also seasonal allergies uh (laughs) harris how about you were you like an indoor kid growing up were you like a video game kid or were you uh hiking at a young age so i i mean i very much was into games as a kid of course but i also had terrible allergies that my parents never really believed like so like it was like a lot of like oh you don't feel that bad you just don't want to go outside because you got your gamecube here whatever like you just want to stay in and play video games and this and that and uh it wasn't until uh i was in high school and we discovered like like allergy clinics that my parents were like oh let's take you in and see if you're like full of crap or whatever and so we we go in to do an allergy test, and the way an allergy test works is there's several different kinds. You can get a blood test, uh, and they'll run the blood back, but there's also the, like, back prick test, where they'll prick your back with every single thing that you're allergic to, and they'll, like, draw a grid and sharpie on your back and just, like, poke you with every single kind of tree that they have. Um, and in the words of the nurse who gave me the test, I've never seen someone's back light up like this before. <laughs> Um, yeah and so you know if you uh we already let's see i think uh victoria already submitted a picture of both of us for the podcast art but if you need a backup we can use one of my back uh oh that's so gross um it's so yeah it's basically just like a bunch of speed bumps on my back with numbers next to them and like some of them are like this shape of or the size of like a quarter or a nickel and uh, by the end of the appointment, my mom was crying, just being like, I'm sorry, I didn't believe you. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I punished you and called you a liar. Your life must be terrible. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Harris, Harris, if it makes you feel any better, when I, had the, when I had the allergy test done at 17, I had it done on my back, too. My grass allergy was so severe that I went into anaphylactics. No! And they had to, sta- they had to like, yeah, it was rough, man. And they were like, no, you have to sit here for 15 minutes. And I was like choking and my mom was like "Uh, I think we need to like do something about this and they were like she's fine she's fine and they had to like sit me down they had to lie me down and then just basically like jab me with a needle and then they gave me liquid Benadryl Um, and so to that point like I had my allergies tested again when I moved to New York City and I I wish I was kidding I had an allergist actually say to me is living in a bubble an option for you Oh, you huge nerds. I love this so much. Because, like, because, you know, when you, when you picture, like, a child nerd, you picture, like, a kid with allergies and who has braces who kind of talks like this. And the only reason I'm very good at doing that voice is because I had weird braces uh, and an expander and I talked like that and had allergies and stuff. So I think it's very funny that we've got this room full, well, 
metaphorical room full of of uh, indoor kids who kind of grew up uh, like kind of nerdy uh, in their childhoods. Um, Victoria, I know that you mentioned that you were a mucusy indoor kid, but you were also an emo kid. Oh, yeah. So how did those two things intersect for you growing up? Oh my gosh, I could love how we're diving into this right away. Nobody ever do this when you do small talk, by the way. Don't ask people personal <laughs> questions about their childhood, but you both are so game, I can't help myself. <laughs> Tell me about teen emo Victoria immediately. I, I said I said emo kid, but I'm more I was more of a fake emo kid because my mom never let me. <laughs> she never like I wanted to dye my hair, I wanted to buy black jeans, I wanted to buy like the combat boots. She's like, no, you can wear black yoga pants and that's basically about it. And you can wear a black t-shirt, but otherwise we're not doing this. So I was like, okay. So instead I channeled my angst into a lot of games. Nice. And a lot of, like, dress-up games, like, I would just dress them up, like, super emo. So that's kind of how I found, like, the happy medium of, like, not being able to express myself outwardly, but going, playing games and being like, okay, I'm going to be dark and <laughs> disturbing here. But Take that, Mom. in your heart, though, you were emo, you know? Like, capitalism is yeah. truly what kept you from reaching your full emo potential. And isn't that yes. just mean that <laughs> you were the truest emo of them all? Oh, my gosh. Right? Right. Right? I was not expecting this kind of revelation from this podcast. Oh no, what do I do with my life now? Especially not during small talk. Man. We're going ham today with friendship. Harris, tell me <laughs> tell me about your weird youth. Growing up, I always remember like talking to people about like when you go to college or when you like branch out of like your primary school, you talk to people who like tell you what their school was like and my school was very like if you imagine, like, a TV sitcom school, that was, like, exactly my school. Like, it was just, like, a Simpsons-style, like, full house level of just, like, every kid has a stereotype and whatever. And, you know, naturally working in games, like, you tend to, like, gravitate towards the nerds and stuff. And so, like, everyone's got stories about about being bullied or, like, being a nerd and, like, how that affected their, like, social status. But when I think about, like, my time during school, I never, like, have memories like that. And I've I've, like, recently started wondering, like, why why was I not bullied for being a nerd or anything like that? And then I kind of realized that I probably was, and I was just too stupid to notice it. Oh, um, no. <laughs> no! You're like, oh, they like me. Like, I mean, they may be saying weird names to me, but it's just it's the way they show love. Regardless, though, I, I was just like the most like normal dweeby white kid. Um, like, my mom still has a picture up in the living room of like me in middle school with like a trumpet on my knee and the worst haircut in the world. Wait, so you're saying the trumpet is nerdy? Um, I mean, of the brass instruments, I would say it's the nerdiest, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I think French horn is pretty nerdy. Oh, French, I'm sorry, I forgot it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually just, I just pictured the kid who played French horn in middle school and got it. <laughs> maybe Harris was the bully. Oh, yeah, maybe, oh, yeah, I'm the bully. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Anya, as a, as a saxophone player and as somebody who's interested in brass music, um, I touched earlier about ska, which I feel like maybe before our guest's time, but this was definitely something that was in our high school. How do you feel about ska, Anya? I just want to know on a personal level. Um, so, I mean, I guess it depends on the type of ska that you're talking about. If we're talking about first wave ska, if we're talking about bands like The Specials, right? So there's sort of some like... Uh, reggae influence like the specials are incredible if we're talking about second or even third wave ska right like no doubt no doubt's a pop band they're not a ska band um but if we're also talking about bands like less than jake or real big fish or mighty mighty bostones like that was the type of stuff that everybody was listening to when i was in high school which definitely gives my age yeah yeah um but i don't know my feeling about it is like if it's music that gets you into playing music like i don't ever think that's a bad thing what a really beautiful answer because i was just like oh yeah she's gonna lay into ska this is gonna be great but you gave like a very like diplomatic answer about what is objectively the worst music form <laughs> no i mean look i was in a ska band in high school for a couple years we were called the zoots and we had a song called skippy the wonder dog and it was all about <gasps> how skippy got hit by a car <laughs> I just respect you so deeply and so much. This is the best. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about like high school, a little bit about us growing up. Let's talk about the years where we are expected to go to college. Did everybody go to university of some type? I did, yeah. Community management is such a new role. And Anya, I feel like uh, there's a certain degree of community management that you even need to do in your job because you talk to the public quite a bit. Um, 
community management wasn't even on our radars in college. Uh, even I would say, like, I, I know that you guys are a little bit younger, but like, I, this is a very new profession. Um, did you know you wanted to work in games, game production? Um, were you studying anything about um, speaking to the public or or, or um, that sort of things? I know, like, there's no classes in community management. Um, whoever wants to jump in on this, feel free. Um, yeah, I I realized. I, so I always knew I wanted to work in games because I always found them like really fascinating and really uh, it was like a really interesting thing that people like everyone could enjoy games. And that was like a big philosophy I had was that like you could always like find common ground in a video game uh, with, with anyone. Um, and I knew I wanted to be a community manager when I was this is going to date me when I was in middle school. Uh, what? I Yeah, um, because so I. I was in middle school, let's see, I, my, my grades followed the years. So I was in seventh grade in 07, eighth grade 08, ninth grade 09. Oh, uh, so you're... Yeah, I graduated high school in 2013. I'm 24 years old. You are both um, we children. I did yes. not realize this. Okay, so uh, yeah. just to back it up a little bit, because now this question is very different. Because like, uh, <laughs> well, it is. Because uh, like when I was in college, like uh, there was no such thing as a community manager. But yeah, you yeah. went to school knowing that that was a career. Right. Wow. Like, so when I was in middle school, I uh, was like sifting through my brother's closet and I found his special edition Halo 2 bonus DVD. And it had a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff, and one of the people they interviewed was the community manager for Halo 2's online component, which at the time, like, was the first major console online game, and this and that. Um, and so, like, that's the moment when I realized, like, I hate math, and I can't draw, but this guy can talk to people and get people excited about a game that he's working on, and that is his job. And, like, that was the moment when I knew that is what I wanted to do. Uh, so, like, literally everything from that point forward was in service of like trying to like get this job. Um, and so college, I started this, there's a game program at a college here in Austin um, that, that had a business sector. So it was like games and business as one. Um, and that program turned out to be a bust and that's a whole other story. And that's a podcast worth of information there. Um, but I switched to communication <laughs> and yeah, uh, we don't, we, we don't have time for that, but yeah. So I, I later switched to communication, knowing I could still learn communication skills uh, at the same college. And then fast forward, here I am at Finji. Man, that is wild. Uh, how about you, Victoria? <laughs> I mean, was this on your radar when you were in school? So it's actually really interesting because even though Harris and I are the same age, I had no idea community management as a job existed. Um, so I know I've been talking about my parents and my family a lot, but Honestly, like growing up, there's no way I can extract myself from it because they were so deeply intertwined with my past. <laughs> my upbringing was that I was supposed to follow a very traditional like path because education for my parents was the only way they knew like equated to success. So I had to go to a really good university um, and I had to get scholarships for this university because it's not like we had money for this. Um, so I did that. So I studied a lot. Um, so that meant I usually didn't have time to play like a lot of AAA games. I didn't have any consoles. So I didn't have a lot of like the kind of games that I feel a lot of people in the industry currently have. So I went to university. I went in for sociology and I was going to go into PR for healthcare because I didn't want to be a dentist, I didn't want to be a doctor, I didn't want to be a lawyer, I didn't want to be any of that. <laughs> so this was my kind of like happy medium. I was like, okay, I'm going to be in medicine, it's going to be great. Uh, so yeah, I studied sociology, I had a double minor in communications and the social studies of medicine. And then when I graduated, I was like, wow, I hate this. I don't want to do any of this. Like, I hated it so much. I literally had a time where I was on the bathroom floor crying because I was like I don't want it I know it was bad it was bad but I didn't want to do it I was so miserable um but it kind of was good because it became like a wake-up call for me I was like you know what I've hit rock bottom what else can I do so I started emailing a bunch of people um and one of the people I emailed was a programmer from Ubisoft and she was really nice and I don't know how I randomly found her on a google search but I dm'd her on Instagram and I was like hey you have no idea who I am but I have no idea what I want to do can I talk to you about like games? Cause it's something I've always been interested in, but I've never had the background for, um, I don't play a lot of AAA games. Like, is it okay if we talk? And she said, yeah. And then we did. And now I'm at Kit Fox or well, I went to another 
a job and then I went to kickboxing, but yeah. Victoria, sometimes I feel like you and I have such similar backgrounds and just like paths. It's so interesting to me the more that I talk to you. It's a little wild. <laughs> interesting. It could be the like Asian upbringing, honestly. I think that's a big part of it. I have very similar situation. <laughs> so I studied music in the conservatory, but I studied music business instead of like performance. In terms of community management, like here's something that I've sort of thought about recently. Um, at least at the school that I went to, we had a really good uh, communications program, right? And communications yeah. is sort of like the, the like joke major of like, you just don't really know what you want to do. Thanks. <laughs> But, like, when you're growing up with people who want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, all that st dentist, like, yeah, like, it, to bring that up to, like, parents who are very, very strict, like, hey, I want to go into communications, I would imagine that that is how they would react, even though it is a very valid way to spend your time and your life and your education. Yeah, I mean, communications also is, like, all-encompassing of, like, at least when I was going to school in 2001, when Harris was, what were you, like, first grade? First grade. Great. Awesome. I was 18. Uh, communications also, like, that encompassed, like, PR. And the communications program that the school that I went to, they had a specific track for, like, sports communications, which is basically, like, how do you talk to athletes? Because you have to learn the language of the athlete. And I feel like that's essentially what you two do, but just you have to learn the language of people who play games. It's the exact same thing. This is a good transition into medium talk, the talk about games, because I feel like we've got a really good grasp on where you guys came from as far as your education, even though you had, you know, really, it seems like you had very similar inclinations, but had different opportunities and then pursued those very differently, which is so, so neat to me. Um, so let's talk, let's talk about actual community management. How about it? Harris, how did you become the community manager at Finji? So I owe pretty much everything at Finji to Felix Kramer. Uh, Felix is a producer extraordinaire. Uh, they made or they produce uh, many, many games. They're currently producing uh, Sable. Uh, they're doing Tunic with us, uh, Neo Cab, uh, Untitled Goose Game. Lots of really uh, neat games they're producing. Um, and uh, I, 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 knew, I knew Felix from uh, Giant Bomb. Actually, uh, Giant Bomb did their. Uh, uh, big live live show live is the name of this is this show uh it's, it's essentially an all-day extravaganza they do every once in a while um and felix uh was one of the guest uh speakers on the show or something and uh afterwards i simply uh messaged felix and was like hey i thought your segment was funny blah 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 uh, and all this stuff um and uh later on i met felix at a convention and i introduced myself again as you know, I was like, oh, we talked about your segment, blah, 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 and this and that. And Felix remembered me. Um, and uh, I've, I've, I've talked to Felix about this meeting a lot um, because, you know, at it, it conventions, uh, it, when you're working for a studio uh, or you're a known quantity like Felix was, you'll get a lot of people who know you, but you don't know them. Um, and, and these people want to develop a relationship with you because they admire you uh, and you don't necessarily want to because you don't know them. Uh, and Felix said that like the difference between me introducing myself and other people introducing themselves is that I said hello, had a chat, and then walked away. <laughs> Whereas, huh. like according to Felix, and this is something I've come to find uh, working with Finji, uh, is that fans of a project will not know when to leave and when to like leave a person alone and when to treat them like a person. Um, and Felix was just simply explaining to me, he was like, yeah, you just like treated me like a normal person. And because of that, I wanted to talk to you more. Um, and yeah, we, we talked uh, regularly at shows and conventions and stuff. And eventually, uh, it, it came to light that I was woefully unemployed and Felix had my back. Um, Aww. yeah, yeah, it was, it was really great. <laughs> Felix is, Felix is terrific. Yeah. Felix rules. I owe everything to Felix, uh, forever, always. At Lego butts. <laughs> I get this question a lot. Uh, people ask me this a lot, and it's actually one of the questions that I hate, but I am curious to ask both of you. So as community managers, what's sort of your like day to day? We do get that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we do get that a lot. Yeah, because it varies. It varies so greatly between company and between uh, different professionals. If I had to do it in the broadest strokes, um, the first thing I do is to make sure that the community itself is growing and talking in a way that I think is 
beneficial to like the community, to Kit Fox, but also to themselves. Like they're respectful. Um, they're having good conversations. It's fun. Um, and all of that. So making sure that the community doesn't grow into like this terrible mass of monster that the internet can become. Um, and second is usually that usually if you're trying to contact Kit Fox at all, the person you talk to first is me, unless of course you have a personal direct contact within the company. Um, so yes, yeah, so that could encompass social, that could encompass press. Um, I'm also, because we're only a team of eight at KitFox, I normally do a lot of stuff. I sometimes do bookkeeping. I've done some biz business development. I do all the event planning, management. Um, I do all the communications and invoices. It's, it's a whole thing that it's really hard to talk about when you work at an indie studio, which I'm sure Harris probably also experiences. Yeah, we, we wear a lot of hats. Um, basically, I, I pretty much mirror uh, Victoria in that regard of all those duties. Um, the the main thing, though, I, I was thinking about was, you know, talking about waking up and the first thing you do. Uh, the first thing I do when I wake up is, like, yeah, boot up all the social media and just pray that, like, nothing crazy happened overnight. Oh that, like, gosh. no one no one came into our Discord and just started slinging a bunch of stuff overnight. Like, yes. it's it's literally every morning is, like, waking up. Like, every... Every night is like going to bed with a lit candle in your room and waking up and hoping that the room didn't catch on fire yes. every single <laughs> night. That's such a um, good analogy. So, sometimes it happens, but like there was a time where I was so afraid to not check like the forms, like the Steam forms, but like I knew I had to check it every single day and like almost every hour because I knew it was like something was going to burn if I did not check it. And it was giving me so much anxiety. So stressful sounding. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I have checked our Discord and Twitters on vacation before. And just like so many things where I should not have to be dealing with it. But it's like my my sweet baby. I have to. I have to make sure it's doing okay. It sounds like the sort of balance there can be a little bit challenging, right? Like we're glued into our phones 24 hours a day, not only with just like work stuff, but also our personal stuff. How do you kind of find that balance when you're like, I've worked eight, nine, sometimes 10 hours, and I just kind of need to shut it off. But you also know that at any time, someone can jump into Discord and like blast you with a bunch of bullshit. Working from home, I, I have the luxury of just being able to like, you know, walk away from it and go do something else for a bit and like still be in the comfort of my own home. So I can, you know, I'll, I will be checking Discord and this and that during off hours a lot because it's the same computer that I game on and the same computer that I, you know, pay my bills on. So, like, I've always got Discord running all the time, uh, uh, with the trade-off being that, like, during work hours when someone might be in an office, I can go, like, spend an hour by the pool at my apartment should I want to. Um, uh, but I, I make that up for being on Discord at, like, 1 a.m. if I'm up. Um, so, yeah, finding that... And, and, like, you know, working from home and finding that balance is hard because you're you begin to associate your home with your office and it becomes like a place of like bad brain feel when you see your desk that's in your room two feet away from your bed. It's tricky, but I, I, I like this balance because I like, I know when I can walk away from it and where I can go. Um, and I won't get like weird looks from other people in an office if I'm walking away from my desk, whereas at home I'm just simply going to another room yeah what about you victoria how do you manage that balance between work and personal when your job is literally like part of your personal life i mean it's difficult um and i've gotten like scolded by our captain tanya she'll, she'll be like did you check the twitter over the weekend i'll be like yeah she's like don't do that <laughs> <laughs> trick question nerd <laughs> right so, yeah i so there's like a number of strategies but it is really hard like harris said like your discord your twitter they actually they literally feel like your children and it's really hard to detach yourself from that um so the way i've tried to rationalize it is that i i've built this discord to be like as positive a community as possible we have like amazing mods in there and i trust them with my life so like kind of like the thing that I've done with it is like, okay, if I really believe in my Discord, if I believe in this Twitter, I can just walk away. And like, I need to walk away. Um, because it doesn't do anyone a service. Like, it doesn't do my mods a service if I'm stressed out, if I'm like, you know, anxiously checking Discord all the time. Um, and they actually have also yelled at me for being online during off work hours, because now they know my schedule. So they'll be like, 
I, we see you're online. You should be offline. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. So, so it's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I've balanced it. And obviously <laughs> trying to, I've been trying really hard to have hobbies that yeah. are not in front of a computer. Like everything is so fun in front of a computer, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to do like a jigsaw puzzle, like a physical jigsaw puzzle. It's actually the best. It's so fun. What do you look for when you're looking for mods to sort of like help you out and manage some of that workload? That's difficult because it's almost like finding another community manager. In the in the Finji Discord, it's all people that I know in real life. Um, every single mod is someone, they either are someone who works at Finji, uh, who just happens to be in there, or someone who I've developed a relationship with, uh, whether it's at a convention or back at home at Austin. Like, I would give Victoria a mod in Finji if she so wanted her YouTube because I'd trust you to know what's a good conversation and what's a bad conversation. Uh, you know, it, it's really, like, being a mod is simply just, like, common sense, which the internet is lacking in greatly. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's I, I just don't give it to people who, first off, never give mod to someone who asks for it. Oh, yeah, no, never. Because, yeah, it's, it, being a mod should not be something you want to be. It should be something that you're saddled with and you have to deal with, and it's, like, a new responsibility that you don't necessarily want. Well, then why would somebody say yes to being a mod if it's if it's terrible? <laughs> so we we give our like the Finji mods mod powers because it's people who are already talking in in the Finji Discord who I trust to like see something that is happening while they're already there and to do something about it. Um and then I tell them like if anyone ever gets mad at you say I'm just a mod. Like we have a posted rule list in our Discord, right? Uh, which most discords do. Um, and I just tell them, hey, if they get mad at you for doing something, uh, just send them over to me. Don't even answer to them. Just let me take care of them. I think one of the misconceptions that we touched on earlier about being a community manager is one that you just like are sort of sitting on the internet all day, just like looking at Discord. Yeah, memes, nothing but memes. All I do is dab in front of my computer. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much more, right? Like Victoria, you're saying like you sort of manage some of the invoices, like you do event planning, like it's a pretty all encompassing job because you're essentially like the face and the voice of the company. What's like another misconception about community management that you both have heard? I would say this is not so much about community managers per se, but because we're, you know, at the front lines of it, it we're the ones seeing this stuff, but it's more about game development as a whole. But it's there's a lot of like folks who think they know a lot about how a game is made and they'll spout it back at us, but it's wrong, right? Uh for instance, like uh games that are console launch exclusives, they'll you know, we've got Tunic coming to Xbox One uh, first. And a lot of people will simply ask us, like, oh, wh wh why do you hate Nintendo so much? What, why, why, why do you hate me and my PlayStation? It's like, well, it's not that. Like, we're not, we're not, you know, there's, there's, the console wars don't exist past the consumer level. Like, if you want to make games, you want to get in front of as many people as possible while also balancing other factors. Um, and, uh, and so, like, Community management is a lot of just like it's it's this is gonna sound reductive and like kind of mean, but it's it's there's a lot of babysitting in it. Like it, it's a lot of like using like the perfect words and like soft skills to like tell people information that they don't want to hear. Um, and yeah, like a lot like a lot of it is like you know getting hype and getting happy and sharing fun stuff, but a lot of it is like calming people down and like using words to like. I don't know, just like, yeah, just like soft skill and pacify. Um, yeah, I feel like that's the thing that a lot of people don't, that the misconception of community managers is that, and in soft skills in general, um, but like communicating how you feel or like, like being stern without sounding super aggressive online is actually super difficult. Um, and the soft skills for a community manager for that is super important and no one really understands how important it is or like kind of the line that you have to cross and you're not really sure sometimes even as community managers if what you're saying is right but you have to say something um but i think also another thing that people don't understand in terms of community management is that we at least for i, I believe for me and harris is that we do see everything 
people say yep. about us. Like, if they tag us and we don't respond, that doesn't mean we haven't read it. It just means that we either chose not to respond to it or maybe it slipped our minds, but it happens. And even if you don't tag us in it, like, there's ways to find out, like, who's talking about what. Yep, and that goes for really gross fan art, too. Yeah, I bet. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine, too, like, with Boyfriend Dungeon. Actually, I feel like the Boyfriend Dungeon fan art probably is pretty badass. You know, it's actually been badass, yeah. Like, maybe when the game comes out, we're going to get some not-safe-for-work fan art. But so far, I've been really impressed. Yeah, I think people, like, understand the tone of Boyfriend Dungeon so well that you haven't, like, encountered that. And I'm, like, I, I think, I'm, like, I'm not surprised that, like, the people who are making fan art are super cool. Because... Like, the tone of Boyfriend Dungeon is, like, right there, and it's, like, yeah, it's it's begging for awesome fan art. Thanks. <laughs> I got to play it at uh, the mix at GDC, and, like, having worked on it with you all for your Kickstarter, I can't believe it's taken me that long to actually play it. Uh, and I was, like, sweating. I was so emotionally invested in <laughs> in playing it. It was kind of, it was a little bit absurd, like. <laughs> no, like, even when I'm kind of playtesting the game, like, like this happened at one point, uh, Sunder, the main character, well, not really the main character, one of the, like, figurehead dateable weapons in Boyfriend Dungeon, like, he calls you cute and, like, starts flirting with you, and I literally grabbed our programmer, I was like, Marcelo, he called me cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, like, really into it, too, because he kind of looks a little bit like Jason Momoa. Yes, and he does. Jason Momoa is, like, my ultimate, like celebrity crush so i was just like this is fulfilling things that i didn't know needed to be fulfilled in my life your celebrity crush is correct anya i just want you to know that he has shaved his beard which um i'm still processing and i really i you know please respect my privacy during this time but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) uh also harris like i got to play tunic at gdc yeah at gdc which is something that like every single time i walk by the finji booth I always want to play Tunic, and it's, there's always, like, a crazy, amazing line, which is fantastic. It is so fun. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And I have an Xbox One, so I'm very excited. There you go. You ready to go? Wow, do you hate my Switch? <laughs> <laughs> I also hate your Switch, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Of Can't course. stand it. Victoria, I want to start with you. You wrote a really, really incredible piece on Medium about sort of the background going into Boyfriend Dungeon before you launched the Kickstarter. What is one tip for someone running their first Kickstarter project that you would give? You have two seconds to capture someone's attention, so you better make it as good as possible. Don't spend time on your like trailer, like showing your logo and like a really slow pan of like <laughs> just. Make it like it has to be exciting and catchy within two seconds so that they'll stay, basically. And Harris, what is one tip for folks who are interested in becoming community managers? Focus on what you what you want to hear as a player and like how to say that uh, in a way, in a in a from a perspective of knowing more than a player knows. Um, like, you know, the the thing I really like to focus on from the Finji uh twitters and all the public outreach that we do from finji from finji is that we want to like remain transparent and uh friendly but not like brand friendly you know like we're we're not going to be overly friendly so we like we keep it casual and keep it like smooth uh but we don't try to like meme it up or like be like fellow kids kind of stuff um and so i would yeah i would say just like really work on like developing your voice and like think about what it means to talk to uh the mass the masses in a way that like makes them feel like they're a part of it um so yeah just like mainly like communication skills things like that get that communications degree (laughs) yeah 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 take that So one of my favorite things about Harris is that his name is butchered consistently. <laughs> yeah? Like in what way? Like people call yep. you Harry or um, what? Any public appearance I've made in the last year, anytime my name has been printed, it's just been spelled wrong somehow. Uh, <laughs> what? I'm, I want to know what your, what your favorite one is. Oh, favorite man, wrong that's a good one. Name. I've got two quick ones. Someone started a Twitter account that just randomly generates a fake Harris Foster name every day. Uh, yeah, 
Rami Ismail made a website, uh, myownharrisfoster.com. That's that's the URL for the website. I'm not sure about the Twitter. The Twitter is completely random, but literally the second entry it had was simply Harris farted. <laughs> yeah, this is important. The, my, my favorite one and the one that started it all was uh, when I was in college, I uh, got an internet bill addressed to Paris Foster. Uh, P-A-R-R-I-S-F-O-S-T-E-E-R. And when I messaged them on their web portal, I said, hey, it says Paris Foster. I want it to say Paris Foster. And there was typing. The guy said, one moment, I'll change this for you. And then the next message was, I have changed your name from Paris Foster to Harry Faster. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, how could he mess it up? It's in text. Like, I... I had it right there. I don't know. I don't know how this happens. It's it's almost like the entire world is trying to troll you. Maybe maybe because you weren't bullied in high school, you're just going to be bullied with the name for the rest of your life, no, man. No, no, it's because he was a bully in high school that everyone's getting back at him. This is it. Yeah. While we're devolving into hating each other, maybe I should transition to our final heavy talk question. And now it is time for large talk. It's been floating around on Twitter uh, today that Jack Dorsey of Twitter is going to be uh, meeting with uh, President Donald Trump in a closed door meeting. Uh, And it kind of it's bringing up a lot of negative feelings about social media and its role in our lives. Uh, Is social media worth it to you? Uh, As community managers, you have to handle social media for your job. But I know um, that you both have social media personally as well. Um, Is it worth it? Do you do you like it? Do you hate it? Uh, What do you want to change about it? I have said before, and I still believe this, that I would be so much happier if the internet didn't exist. I'd have a different job, have a different career path, that'd be fine. But I think if like the entire internet just never existed, I think we would all be so much happier. But Wikipedia, Wikipedia is like one of the greatest human sure. inventions, you know? Like, sure. And I mean, but do you mean all internet or all social media? I, I really have to think on that. Social media for sure. Like, I think, I think if we could just like ditch social media... Like, if we still had, like, digital direct communication, I think we could, like, still be cool. Um, But, yeah, like, social media is, like, it's a very useful tool. Like, very good things can come from it. But far too often I'm just, like, looking at my phone and just getting angry. But is it the internet or Um, is it human beings that are making you angry? Is it just that they have a new avenue to be a dick on? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I learned in my useless communication degree was something called the mad world theory. Uh-huh. Um, mad world theory is like the sense that like the world is appears to be much worse because you see much more of it now because of uh, the internet or, or news or this and that. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it would be just like the exposure to people that I would otherwise be uninformed about. Like, you know, we, we, we give a lot of like crap to older folks who aren't as online as us because they seem out of it but like sometimes i just like really admire the ability to just like not know about something yeah okay so the problem with this question and it's i it's something i've thought about a lot especially um like with parasocial relationships Parasocial relationships are basically the relationships you project onto someone else. Like when you see like an internet personality and you're like, they're my friend now. That is like a parasocial relationship where like they're not technically your friend and they technically don't have any real relationship with you. But you're like, they are my best friend now. It's not like somebody that you have a mutual relationship with that you talk back and forth. It's uh, you project you project this relationship onto somebody that you admire. My my rationale for this is that I I don't think social media now is like particularly great for people and it's anxiety inducing and like a lot of the things that Harris said. Um, but personally, I don't I guess I'm not much of I don't ruminate that much. So what I try to think about social media is like, OK, so if it sucks right now, how can I somehow make it better or how can I make it like a place that's kind of worth being without being super anxiety inducing, which is still difficult. Uh, right because I'm still obviously posting only the best photo I have on Instagram I'm only tweeting like my best tweet idea whatever Um, but at the same time it's like okay so like I think it's because I've also um, if you've seen if you follow Johnny Sum who wrote 
who, what did they write? What did he write? Something about like, I'm an alien and you are too, or everyone is too. Um, he did a TED talk about basically the, at least the beauty of like the internet and social media is that you do find your communities and yes, sometimes they're terrible um, and sometimes not a great place to be, but I kind of took it as like, okay, so how can I make my little part of the internet like just a little bit better? I love that. How do you as community managers make your part of the internet a little bit better? And Anya, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, because uh, you are pretty steeped into into social media too. I mean, I think I have the luxury of being older. Uh, so I remember, like, I, I was in my last year of college when Facebook came out. So I very much remember a time in junior high and high school and most of college where this stuff didn't really exist. Like the social media that I essentially grew up with was stuff like Friendster or MySpace. And it was so much less, I feel like pervasive in a way. Um, And now I think like, if you're not on social media, it's sort of like, well, what are you doing with like, who are you? What are you doing? Um, And my husband is on no social media. He just, he has a Twitter, but he doesn't really use it. And he only uses it to follow like baseball people. So he can like keep up with baseball and doesn't really understand how to use it, which is great. And he's the happiest person that I know, (laughs) like easily without a doubt. Um, So I think my relationship with social media is a little bit, it's just a little bit different, I think. Like I didn't grow up with it. So it's not a huge part of my life. Maybe if I was like, 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, And I've also seen a lot of good come from social media, right? Like a friend of mine uh, passed away in 2007. She was a very close friend to a big group of us. And and actually even recently uh, in January, I had a a, a professor, a mentor of mine pass away very suddenly. And instead of it being put on social media, we had a, we basically just had a giant group text of people that were like, we're going to call, physically call every single person that we know. um, And we're going to text every single person that we know to make sure that everyone knows that Dr. Hammer passed away. And then it got put on social media and the outpouring of like love and support for our little like music community of this professor that passed away was just absolutely incredible. And I was like, right, there can be good things that happen with social media. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I, I echo some of your sentiments too, Anya, because like I, I, like you, did not grow up with social media. Um, and one of the ways that I try and make my internet space um, a little bit nicer, a little bit more loving is every time I need to remind myself of something positive, I try and tweet it. So things like, um, yeah, sometimes you just got to remember that like, you know, even if you're not feeling positive about life, it's okay to like get through the day because you're curious to see how things are going to shake out, you know, stuff like that. Um, And I I try and think like, okay, what would I want to say to the to the public, you know, because that's essentially what social media is. It's the uh, democratization of a spotlight. And I think that that's like can be a really beautiful thing uh, when we wield it well, such as when you had your group of uh, frenzy musicians who were mourning. Yeah, uh, I I was pretty down on like social media earlier, but not to say that the internet as a whole is a bad, I'm kind of like thinking about that again. And you know, you're you're talking. You're just, both of y'all's talks about uh, positivity really reminded me of a few things. Uh, one of them being this like group of internet friends that I made uh, about ten years ago uh, that we have all stuck together and have all become so close that they have all uh, moved up to Seattle, Washington to live together. I'm the last remaining one out of like a, now a, a group of like a hundred people uh, who have all moved up to Seattle, uh, and it's people all across uh, the globe. Uh, who we all started off playing like Team Fortress Two together, uh, all like live really close in the same city now because of this stupid group that we founded. Uh, in fact, we have I love yeah, it. Yeah, we have a we have a wedding of two of the people in that group uh, a couple months from now that I'm a groomsman in and things like that. Um, so the 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 positivity of the internet is something that I really need to, like think on and like how it's brought these people together who are some of my best friends in the world now. Um, and yeah, like through this group, we try to like put that positivity out there so we'll do extra life every year at someone's house and raise money for that wonderful charity um and and things of that nature uh so yeah not all bad i'm i'm retracting my negativity from earlier And it's 100% okay to have these um, coexisting feelings of uh, despondence about, you know, the state of social media and the state of like the discourse and stuff, but also like, hey, I love my internet friends and I'm glad that I have this outlet. Um, Victoria, you want to chime in here before we wrap up? 
Yeah, I think that's actually like Harris's feelings about it, though, are so accurate of a lot of community managers where like we hate it, but we also love it because we see both sides so many times. Like we see like the terribleness of the Internet and we see all the good that can happen. Right. Like the reason like we think our discords are our babies is because we have so many positive interactions there. Um, like, I love my Discord so much. Like, I'll sometimes I'll just message, like, my mods and I'll be like, I love you. Thank you for doing what you do. And I've done this, like, apparently weekly because one of my mods was like, Victoria, I, if you scroll up, you've said this. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, the like, people can feel, like, real, genuine connection on the internet. And just because, like, you haven't seen them in person doesn't mean it's any less real. Um, even though we've talked about parasocial relationships, uh, but you know, when you're actually talking to someone, it can. But it's like it's a nice haven. It's a place that you can be yourself without like fear of being judged or repercussions of like your looks or whatever. Um, it's just I don't know. I guess the way I've tried to make it more positive is to make it a place where you do feel like safe and you feel comfortable sharing who you are. Um, as long as you're not attacking someone. Um, and also, yeah, all the, like, internet friends I've made, like, through Twitter and just being in games, like, talking to Harris first on Twitter and then meeting him in real life was really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's been a nice place to have, like, genuine connections with people and with people that you probably wouldn't have ever met before and that their, like, perspectives are super interesting and different, such as on this podcast. <laughs> that was really wonderful. And I, I I really feel like I got a lot of really interesting information about you guys, about, about the job of being a community manager. And you know what? I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like we all got along. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. All right. Well, let's do one... Let's do one last reminder of where everyone can be found on the internet. If you want to be found, you don't have to want to be found. You can just give us your company's uh, internet stuff. Um, so let's go alphabetical order again. Actually, you know what? Let's go in alphabetical order and start with Anya because people should find you on the internet too, Anya. Yeah, you can read my dumbass tweets. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Today I tweeted about lasagna and how it stresses me out. That was, that was my hot take for the day. Get that content. So my Twitter is A-N-Y-A-Y-N-A. -A -A. It's just Anya is a palindrome. Um, and then I have my Instagram. It was like, it's interesting. My Twitter is more games related. My Instagram is more music related. And my Instagram is just Anya combs her hair. <laughs> I love it. Harris, how about you? Yeah, I, uh, I do a bunch of Twitters for Finji. But if you want to start from the core, just uh, follow at FinjiCo on Twitter. You can find our Discord there. You can find or other Twitters there, all that good stuff. Um, and then my personal Twitter, where I talk about how much I hate single-stuffed Oreos and how the million-dollar slot... <laughs> uh, and I'll talk about how the million-dollar slot on Wheel of Fortune is a scam. Uh, that is at Harris Foster. Yes, you can find everything I do on Twitter. I'm at the VTran, T-H-E-V-T-R-A-N. Yes, I can spell. Great. Um, <laughs> and if you want to follow Kit Fox, we're at Kit Fox Games everywhere basically facebook twitter etc uh we also have a discord and in our discord we have a secret society which i can't talk about because it's secret uh and also we have been recently talking about roombas and i'm not sure why but i thought i'd talk about them <laughs> like by the end of this can i be in the secret society uh yeah are you in our discord i think so okay <laughs> you have to find it yourself that's why it's secret okay i'll, I'll be on the lookout it's like a Great. speakeasy, like a 1920s where you drink Ooh. alcohol on the internet. Yeah, It really is. Mm. So if you know anyone who's thinking about running a Kickstarter, send them a link to this podcast or at least send them to uh, email us at games at kickstarter.com so we can help them out. Uh, thank you to Matt Connolly for a theme song. Thank you to Alex Cox, our pod father and audio daddy for making the studio work. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Oh, and I'm Trin. I'm at Trin and Tonic on Twitter. I guess I should have said that earlier, but it's fine. We're going to end the podcast here. Here.